Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. As we get out the Christmas lights, ornaments, and tinsel to decorate our homes this year, many of us are relieved that Christmas will feel a bit more normal. As we prepare to gather with friends and family to celebrate the birth of Jesus, let us prepare in mind, body, spirit, and space by decking the halls and our lives with what matters most, the hope, peace, joy, and love of God. God gives us the gift of love, the opportunity to accept that love, and the call to share that love with others. In this message of the week from December 19th, Pastor Jen Tyler shares the stories of Mary and Joseph from Matthew 1, how they welcomed the love of God into their lives, and how we can share the love of God with those around us. Here is the First Church message of the week. Won't you pray with me? Gracious God, as we gather and worship and listen for your word this day, we ask that you would continue to open our eyes and our hearts that we might seek to love you, to hear you, to see you more clearly and more deeply with all of who we are as we seek to be rid of any distractions so that all that we see and hear and know and feel and speak are of you. Amen. So today we are wrapping up our Deck the Hall sermon series as uh, today is the final Sunday before Christmas, whether we are ready or not. And so as Sandy said earlier, today we're going to talk about love. And I thought, what better story to read when we want to talk about the theme of love than the story of Jesus coming down to us at Christmas in the form of a newborn child. Now, in a few days on Christmas Eve, we're going to read the really long version of the Christmas story as found in the Gospel of Luke. But today I want to read a shorter and different version of the story of Jesus being born. Today it's going to come from the Gospel of Matthew. Did you know there's different stories of Christmas in the different Gospels? Uh, This story that we're going to read today focuses not on those parts that we often think about, like how Joseph and Mary had to travel to Bethlehem where they found no room in the inn. Instead, today's story talks about how the lives of Mary and Joseph were impacted, or dare we say, interrupted. So I want you to hear with that context in mind these words from Matthew in chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. 
When Joseph woke up, he did just as an angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph called him Jesus. Here ends our reading. So in these much shorter version of the Christmas story, we have in these verses a picture, not just of the details surrounding Mary, but also a little bit about Joseph and the two of them as a couple and the role that he plays in this story. This passage, of course, opened up with the important fact that Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married. And it's worth noting here that an engagement was legally binding back then. That's why they talk in the passage about them being engaged. And then later they refer to Joseph as her husband. Did you notice that? It meant that if something were to happen, such as Joseph suddenly and unexpectedly dying in this time of engagement, which was usually about a year before the wedding and the celebration, it meant that Mary would then be considered a widow, even though she had always been living at home with her family and had not yet been married. It also meant that if Joseph in this time were to decide for any reason that he didn't want to go forward with marrying Mary then he would have to not just, he would not be able to just walk away. He would first have to divorce Mary, even though they weren't legally married yet, because engagements were legally binding. And this is important because it kind of makes it a bigger deal, doesn't it? We know that Joseph knew all of this. We know that he cared about Mary. And we know that because he talked about things like how he wanted to quietly divorce her and not make a scene, not shame her, not make her life harder. But he wanted to walk away because, well, he found out his fiance was pregnant with a child that wasn't his. And well, can you really blame him for considering walking away in that moment, right? For not wanting to marry a woman who's carrying someone else's child? But that is what he was thinking about, it tells us in verse 20. It says he was thinking about this, and as he was thinking about it, we're told that's when the angel visited him in a dream and came to give him some advice. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, the angel insists, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, I know most of us have probably heard this story before, but every time I read it, I'm struck by how difficult this must have been to process that very first time. I think for me, and probably for you, we take advantage of some of the really complicated details of the story because we know it so well and we've come to expect it, but I can't imagine the strength and the courage that it would take not only to process this information Joseph's receiving all at once, but also to then believe the angel who came to him in a dream. And then to not just believe it, but to take it seriously and heed that advice so seriously that he let it flip his entire world upside down. And in what appears to be a short time period as they move from one moment to the next, we are told that Joseph goes from wanting to quietly divorce Mary to trusting that perhaps God had another plan, a plan that was bigger than they were a plan that was bigger than they could begin to imagine, than we honestly can fully understand even today. A plan 
that involved for both of them, giving up everything they thought they knew, everything that they had worked towards or planned or dreamt of, and instead, they had to trust God, trusting that God would make a way out of an otherwise difficult or seemingly impossible situation. Think about that, and I can't help but to think it's kind of amazing, isn't it, how so often God's plan has a way of coming in and surprising us, shaking us up a little, keeping us on our toes as we're led through twists and turns and unexpected situations and circumstances. It amazes me how what might seem like an impossibly difficult situation or hardship at first glance might then actually end up being an incredible blessing, even if we can't see it in the moment. Anybody ever had a moment like that in your life? Yeah. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that God wants us to go through hardship or intentionally brings forth struggles for us to endure. But no matter what comes, good, bad, and everything in between, God does want us to trust in God in the midst of all that life throws at us. And sometimes the things that we think are going to be the hardest, well, sometimes they're not, right? Have you ever had that happen where we are faced with making this big decision and it feels like the whole world is riding on it and it's tempting to just choose the easy one even though we're being pulled to choose the harder one and the familiar one and the thing that feels safe. But there's something prompting us to choose a different path anyway. Whether those are small decisions like what we're going to have for dinner or big decisions like family changes that we endure or maybe even for students, what are you going to study in school? Some of these decisions feel like the whole world is resting on this one decision. And we know that each and every day, whether it's these big ones or little ones, the decisions that we have the opportunity to make also have the capacity to impact people around us. And while I don't anticipate that any of us are making decisions, at least not this week, to the magnitude of Joseph deciding if he should help father the king and savior of the world, Joseph did have to make a decision. He had to decide how to respond to Mary's pregnancy. And the truth is, some of the guidelines for making, for Joseph making that decision and for us making our decisions today, they're kind of the same, aren't they? Because with every decision, there are a couple of truths that we can live by, that we can be guided by. Truths such as how we can trust and know God is always with us. God not only is inviting us to trust and to learn, lean in to where God may be leading us, but God is also inviting us to consider how our decisions are going to impact people around us, just as Joseph was considering how his decision would impact Mary. Every decision offers us an opportunity to consider people around us to embrace opportunities to say yes or to take a risk, opportunities to honor God, to love God, and to love, as Jesus would say was the second commandment, our neighbors, 
to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what Joseph is choosing to do in this moment. Today, we are invited to consider how we, too, might choose to embrace that kind of love as we care for ourselves and for the world around us. We are invited to choose love in the same way as we choose love every year this time of year, because we love to dote on the picture and the idea of that sweet baby Jesus, don't we? I wonder how we might be embracing opportunities like these in our daily lives here today. I wonder if we are eagerly listening for God to redirect us, if we are willing to act in love even when those actions aren't what we initially prefer. I know that I probably talk a lot about the importance of loving God and caring for others in our midst. It's a pillar of our faith. But sometimes I think we're quick to gloss over how difficult that can really be because love is not easy. And I'm not just talking about romantic love, though that can be hard too. But loving our neighbors is tough stuff, isn't it? Recently, I came across this image on social media, and I couldn't help but to think children really do get it right in ways we don't always articulate, don't they? If you can't read it, because I know that print gets small, it says, Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. Now, I have no idea where this image originally came from, but like you, I saw that and immediately laughed out loud and thought, ooh, do I relate to that? Not because I don't love my family, but because sometimes our family or our friends or our community, the people we love the most, they're hard to like some days, aren't they? I like that these short and simple and humorous truths, like the one Nan is the name signed there on this note, it reminds us the great truth that love doesn't come easily. It isn't just some easy romantic idea that happens like all those Hallmark Christmas movies when the city girl comes to the small town and never leaves, right? Most of us don't come from leave-it-to-beaver families, if they exist at all, where everything's perfect and we've never had an argument or raised our voices. But the real, true kind of love that we are invited to live into is the kind that comes down to us at Christmas, the kind that invites us to embrace God and one another in pure and caring and selfless ways. It is a challenge and an invitation that is real and difficult, and it never looks the same twice. I wonder what love has looked like in your lives. Maybe it is as simple and obvious and difficult as that love that Nan describes in her note to God. The one that names it sometimes, it's hard enough to love our family we're with all the time let alone the strangers we meet on the street. Other times, maybe love looks like random acts of kindness in our community or taking time to volunteer places that make a difference in the lives of community around us, from service organizations to our local schools to right here at First Church, there are opportunities to serve in tangible ways and to share the love of God with others. Those opportunities are plentiful, aren't they? 
And while, of course, we have room for growth and expansion in how we do these things, I've been thinking a lot lately as we draw to the end of the year about some of the ways we here at First Church have been getting that right lately, about how we are living into our legacy of loving our neighbors through continued missions such as our food and our diaper giveaways, or during the season of Advent, our participation in things like the Angel Tree Program, or how we extend use of this big, beautiful, historic building for groups like the JCs so they can come and have their Christmas events somewhere too. We're also adding new ways to love our neighbors, too, such as this fall when we started our new partnership with the Roosevelt Elementary School just down the road. With this program, we've been able to partner with some of the leadership in the school to help them meet basic needs for both children and classrooms, needs that, if I'm honest, I didn't even know existed Needs like some basic hygiene things they need to have on hand at the school or some clothes for children who need them or who uh, have accidents during the day. Things that I don't think about very often. They also need things like balls and things to play in the courtyard or snacks because while there are there is funding for children to have lunch, I don't know about you, but I don't spend an eight-hour day of never eat more than just a small meal at a lunchtime, right? Anybody else never, ever snack in that time? Children need to be nourished throughout the day, and there's not funding for stuff like that. And so this growing partnership has been an opportunity for our church to step in and say, we love our community and want to care for you. And so that means that when they have specific needs, whether it's school supplies that we can help with, or a couple of weeks ago when the principal emailed and said, we realized that we are not going to have enough snacks to get through Christmas break, and we wonder if you can help. I cannot tell you the joy it brings to be able to say, you know, our church has given generously for this mission, and we would love to provide that for you. And to run out the very same day and to buy snacks in bulk so that they have plenty to get through into the next calendar year. It is a gift to be able to be a part of a church that we can say, we love our community and want to care for you, not just through prayer, that's important too, but also in tangible ways. And I could tell you, if I thought you wanted to sit here for another two hours, story after story after story of the way that First Church has continued to do that. We have promised through this program to continue to keep that support coming because we know it's important to love our neighbors in these tangible ways. But we're called to love and to care for our community in these ways and more. One of the things I love about this story is that six months ago, we didn't have this connection or partnership or ability to help. And each and every day, we are presented with opportunities to live into the ways that God is leading us and calling us to build new relationships, to take new risks, to love our neighbors in new ways. One of my favorite gifts at Christmas time is the way that our love of God spills over through our generosity, especially this time of year. It is a gift that keeps giving year after year after year as we follow the example of the first family of Christmas who taught us how to do this well. Because when Mary and Joseph showed their trust in God, in turn sharing that trust with one another as they courageously embraced this incredible gift that God was giving the world through them, they taught us through this story 
what real love looks like. It looks like trusting God who provides all things, even when it means we have to take a risk or our plans have to change. And it looks like opening our hearts and our lives to new opportunities as we do our part to both see and embrace the light and the love of God with all we meet. Friends, today, this Christmas season, this year, and I'm not letting you off the hook, into next year since we're almost there, my hope and prayer is that we here at First Church and Beyond will continue to worship God, our newborn King, by embracing this love that comes down to us and that we would embrace it not just for ourselves, but that we would continue to find ways to share it with all we meet. Let's pray together. Holy and loving God, we give thanks for your love that is so abundant and immeasurable that we know not where it starts and we know that it never ends. I ask God that this and every day as we draw near to the celebrations of your arrival in the Christ child, you would help us to embrace that abundant love that you give to us and that we would find large and small ways with every decision and opportunity ahead of us to bless those and share it with those around us. In the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information on our church calendar, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.